This podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation News, the publication for professionals working in the UK and Ireland's medical device industry. Subscribe now at medtechnews.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, the editor of MedTech Innovation News. On this episode, I am joined by Amy Lovegrove, Director of UK Clinical Operations at Ivertham, and Tash Brown, Marketing Manager at Ivertham. We discuss the company's offering in treating stroke, atrial fibrillation and other heart conditions as well as the technological landscape and the effect that the COVID-19 pandemic has had in terms of technological adoption within the NHS. I began by asking for some background about Ivertham and how its technology is helping to treat patients. The first voice you'll hear will be Amy Lovegroves. Ivertham is uh, bringing some new technology to the market that's really beneficial for diagnosing heart rhythms and different heart conditions uh, and in particular some heart rhythms that can really um, are related to atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is a condition where the top chambers, the smaller chambers in the heart, um, flutter in an abnormal rhythm and it allows the blood to pull uh, and potentially clot and this can be a cause of stroke. There's um, over a million patients that are known to have this condition in the UK. And ZO service is really well set up to try and identify more patients that are in the UK that have this underlying condition, but don't actually know about it. Um, patients can live with atrial fibrillation and be asymptomatic to it. Um, and actually sometimes the first presentation of having atrial fibrillation can be when they prevent, uh, present as having a stroke. So the, um, the features of the ZEO service that we have that really help identify this, and this, this condition are the fact that patients can wear a patch that's very comfortable to wear compared to traditional monitoring um, techniques, which really have been in the NHS probably since the 1940s. So they're very uncomfortable for a patient to wear. They're quite bulky for a a patient to carry around and they can't go about their normal everyday lifestyle. Um, So the patch allows patients to continue their lifestyle as normal. They can exercise, they can shower, they can sleep with the patch on without it interfering in their lifestyle. And you get a continuous recording over a much longer period than you do with traditional halter monitors. So the benefits of this, you you have a much larger data data set of continuous ECG data that then builds up a picture for a clinician of that patient's heart rhythm. Um, And in um, conditions like atrial fibrillation, this is so important because it can come and go, it can just come for very short periods one day and then not come back for another two or three days and then come back for a short period. So it's very difficult to pick those type of conditions up on the traditional type of monitors. So the ZO service really plays an important part in the diagnosis of atrial fibrillation and then subsequently the prevention of stroke because the sooner you can identify atrial fibrillation in these patients, the sooner you can start treatment that will prevent a stroke further down the line. 
you've uh, mentioned the remote monitoring aspect. I was I was intrigued to uh, find out how long how long do patients need to be remote monitored for? So the Zio service provides a fourteen day service. Previously, the traditional halters usually are worn for twenty four hours, sometimes forty eight hours in the hospital. The, the, the monitor is a, a piece of hardware that has a, you, you put a small um, chip or a card into these monitors and the patient would wear it, bring it back and then it's recycled onto the next patient. So one of the problems with this type of technology is if a patient wears it for two days or for three days, it means that there's a patient that can't have it. So your waiting list grows every time you put one of these monitors on for longer period of time that's another patient that's having to wait an extra day or an extra period of time before they can get it because there's only a finite number of these monitors um, so really traditional methods have been 24 hours sometimes 48 hours and particularly for stroke um, you would you really want a minimum of five days monitoring to look for when somebody's come in with a either a small stroke or um, a TIA so a mini stroke, um, it's really critical to have a look. If it's, if it's not of a known cause, it's really critical to monitor those patients to see if there is an underlying atrial fibrillation that might have caused that stroke. So really a minimum of five days monitoring is what you want for those patients to try and detect this atrial fibrillation that can just come and go. Okay, um, we just uh, touched upon the, the use of uh, the device itself. Is this... Is this a single-use device or is it multi-use? So it's a single-use device. Uh, so this, again, is where the technology take, really takes us forward from what has been standard practice in the NHS to date. Um, it's a single-use device. It's a really patient-friendly device in terms of fitting as well as in terms of wearing. So we don't have to wait for hardware to be available. There's, We have plenty of these devices available that can be sent out to patients to fit in their home as well. So this again is something that's really, during the pandemic, we've seen lots of companies change the way that they operate to allow us to continue with care for patients that, um, you know, non-COVID patients and general care that we, we need to provide all of the time. This allows us to be able to send devices to patients home and then they will fit the device themselves wear it for the 14-day wear time, and then take it off themselves and send it back. Uh, and then that's it. It's a single-use device after that. So. Well, I think you've actually touched upon one of my next questions, Amy, and I'll, and I'll throw this to Tash as well, because um, uh, this is talking about making diagnostics more accessible. Is this a trend since the pandemic started that you think is here to stay, or do you think it might be reined in a little, but it's still going to be more frequent than, than it was beforehand? Uh, I think I think the pandemic has made the change. I, I think the technology was always coming into the marketplace over the next few years, but the, the, the pandemic has clearly brought it forward by a number of years. And I think now people have started to use this technology. There's clear benefits for patients and for service providers. I, I don't see us going back to the old traditional ways of providing the service. And I'd absolutely agree with what Amy said. You know, the pandemic has absolutely expedited the way that innovation has been adopted within the NHS and, and broader. And I think 
now that these technologies are at the forefront, we're seeing that the value that they can truly add in these, I think it's a case of making sure that they do stay around and how can we continue to make sure that new innovations are adopted and spread widely across the NHS. Those innovations that truly give value to the NHS, such as the Zio service that's proven to provide that kind of value. Um, I think the challenge in the past has been the adoption, but COVID absolutely has, as I say, expedited the, the adoption within the NHS. I mean, yeah, I think you've actually segued nicely onto another question that I've got written down here is whether innovation has accelerated in this area over the past year from what you've seen. I mean, is it, I doubt it's just in this area, but it has been more broadly, but specifically for treatment of um, a AFib and, and strokes and heart conditions. Is there, has this been a particular area that has generated more innovation because there's been concerns about access to the services that have been brought about because you know people want to stay away because they don't want to get infected with COVID? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the NHS and the government, there's, there's huge initiatives, even pre-COVID, to adopt new technology within our healthcare system. And so we are finding that because of the battle of the challenges that COVID and for example, the backlog when we and Amy's already kind of touched on it already, but there is a huge amount of waiting list times now, or there are a huge amount of patients waiting for devices and specifically around ECG monitoring, for example. And those pressures will maintain and continue throughout not only the pandemic, but at the repercussion of this pandemic. So we have seen that in cardiology space that new technologies have come to the forefront. We have seen that that has been hugely supported by different initiatives, whether that's by the government um, with the AI awards, which was launched um, last year by Matt Hancock, which helps to bring to the forefront some of those more promising technologies. Zio was one of those that was awarded um, some funding for um, evaluation of the service in selected sites. We've also seen that NICE, for example, has developed a digital pilot scheme to help really boost innovation, prove the innovation that's coming through, and therefore help to inform further widespread adoption in the NHS. And Zio was, again, the first technology to be assessed through this digital pilot. So we're really seeing key initiatives run by government and the NHS bodies to help adopt new technology. I think the question might come that how do we ensure that, yes, it's adopted adopted in certain sites, but how do we facilitate that widespread adoption throughout the NHS? And then how do we make sure that we sustain that use of innovation? And how do we provide the funding and support the NHS in continuing to use that innovation? That's a couple of interesting points that you raised there, Tash. I mean, there's, because I think I would ask you the question, how do we go about bringing, how do we go about answering those questions that you just posed? Yeah, well, it's a tricky one. And I think, you know, what we're seeing so far is providing different platforms for new technologies to come forth. And the Accelerated Access Collaborative, along with NHSX, for example, have some key initiatives running. And I think it's a case of understanding far out what these technologies can bring. So horizon scanning, look at those technologies that are coming to the forefront a lot earlier on so that we can ensure that they're developed in a way that will truly add economical, clinical and operational benefits towards the NHS. So you're scanning a lot further on. And it's widely recognised that, you know, systems need to be in place to assess these technologies to prove that they are offering true value before there's a handoff to adoption. 
But new technology needs to be proven with real world evidence. So therefore, trialing and evaluating these services in selected sites for wider adoption and sharing that knowledge and that best practice across those sites so that you can understand how to adopt these new technologies. It's not a one size fits all. And it definitely isn't one technology is assessed in the same way potentially as another technology, especially when it comes to AI, such as the, um, the tool that we use to, to diagnose that large data or to analyze the large data sets. But I think there's definitely a, a case for understanding what works well in certain sites through evaluation and then sharing that best practice. And again, we've seen um, CQC, for example, last week um, presented a report around how some key principles, there were six key principles that they presented to adopting new technology or new innovation in the NHS. And one of those is sharing of best practice. How does it work in certain sites and what can we learn from the implementation as we broaden our, our adoption? You've mentioned the trialing of technologies at certain sites, but um, I'm fascinated to get you, both of your views in terms of, do you think barriers to entry are a little too high at the moment, given that there is such a demand for new technologies to come in and, and deal with the backlog that has been caused by COVID? I think really now is the time that um, departments are really welcoming this technology to help um, ease some of that burden and some of that strain that has been caused by the pandemic in the early stages of the pandemic last year. Um, many uh, appointments, standard appointments, were either cancelled or rescheduled. There were long periods of time when patients weren't visiting these departments at all. So that backlog has, has grown. So I think actually departments now are really welcoming these new innovations that help them to deal with these patients and to keep the patients out of hospital. Um, where you were asking about certain areas and how they've managed to pivot to provide new services, some tests in departments still will need to be provided in person in departments so actually you're much better to keep your space where you can allow patients to come in and socially distance in the waiting rooms and in the clinic rooms but actually provide the areas where you can provide it remotely keep those patients out of the hospital so it's good to have that balance of both yeah it, do, it does seem to be a case that remote monitoring is um front and center of any innovations that are going to impact the NHS from here on in, and it's been uh, accelerated almost as a result of COVID-19. Yeah absolutely and, and they also you know at the beginning of the pandemic there was sort of specific call outs for specific technologies that would help the initial challenges faced by COVID you know and that was sort of raised by the NHSN network there were specific technologies but as we've kind of evolved throughout this pandemic we've seen that the other technologies have been brought on board to maybe help kind of the knock-on effect that the, the pandemic can bring and we've seen the GP um, appointment scheme um, as well and having that remote consultation that's something that they have seen a huge amount of value in and can see continuing throughout so there's definitely been some challenges at the beginning of adoption like with anything new trying to bring it on board at scale and at pace is always going to be a challenge and each centre has its own barriers to adoption. It's not just a, a generalised, this is, the, this is the list of challenges potentially, and this is how we solve them, because each, each industry partner 
is a general partner to each of those NHS sites, we have to work very closely in how we adopt our service. And remember that the, most of the technologies that are coming through are far more than a simple swap out of the current technology. You know, when you look at the AI tools, for example, with Zeo, it's a complete pathway redesign. So it is a true partnership with those sites. And so those barriers that we sometimes see, we have to partner with directly with that NHS um, hospital or trust to make sure that we understand fully the pathway and what really is going to be the true impact from a, a ZEO perspective, for example. And that is, is really critical when you think about some of these departments have been providing these services themselves for the last 60, 70 years. So they're very used to having that level of data retained in their department. The clinicians are very used to be able to walking into a room in a department and chatting to the people that are dealing with that data and having a look at the record, the records and the and the ECG data. So it's a very big shift in practice for them. And you can uh, it takes a while to build up trust and to work, as Tash says, um, really integrate yourself into the departments with uh, the clinicians and the physiologists that are working in these departments so that they see you as a partner to the service that they're providing. I think we talked about um, accelerating trends and what, and, what this, and what this means going forward. But basically... Things that we probably would have envisaged a couple of years down the line are happening now. Has that been the case with iRhythm in particular? Yes, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, we've we've worked with Nice and with the AI Awards, for example, for many years previous to even knowing um, about COVID. But I, I definitely think things have accelerated, and I definitely think that you know where we continue and see ourselves is that some of these broader initiatives that we're now involved with have the potential to impact future funding and commissioning decisions for us as iRhythm. But also when we look to broaden our actual patient access to the Zeo service, not just in the UK, but wider, you know, some of the NICE guidance has the potential to really influence some of the more international guidelines that happen. So yes, we absolutely see that this is accelerating where we want to be. But I think these initiatives were set up even before COVID. So I think it would it would have still been the same. I think just the adoption of the new technologies has probably been a lot quicker. Has it meant that you've had to um, pivot your offering in any way that you probably didn't envisage? Yeah, um, absolutely. And like I said, there was call outs at the beginning of COVID that wanted to bring new technologies to the forefront that would solve the immediate requirements that, that the challenges that COVID faced within the NHS. So as a, as a knock-on effect on that, we um, pivoted. Uh, and again, it's testimony to small, maybe small businesses being able to potentially be more agile at times. And we were able to react quite quickly to the requirements for um, remote monitoring. So we launched a direct-to-patient monitoring service. So we um, remotely, we send the um, Zeo monitors directly to a patient. We provide a patient with all the materials to fit the device themselves. They then remove the device and they post it back to iRhythm as the normal um, route. And then we analyze that and um, the data collected over the 14 days um, using our AI tool. It, it means that you're protecting those patients from coming into hospital. Um, you're reducing the patient flow within hospital. You're helping to continue that vital cardiac monitoring service that's so desperately needed, um, but without putting more pressure or increased strain on NHS services in a time when really they're trying to deal with the challenges faced by COVID. 
Okay, I'm going to just throw this open. This is a very broad question, but what do you anticipate comes next? I mean, is it, is it going to be a case of further product development or is it going to be a case of you're just going to focus on this one area and continue to broaden it as, poss- as much as possible? Well, I mean, you can never sit still, can you? You can never sit back on your laurels and think, well, we've got some nice new technology and it's providing uh, a gap in the service. So there will always be development of products. There's always new things coming to the market. And, you know, iRhythm is a company that will definitely be looking to move with the times. I think for us in the short term, we will be looking to increase our network of um, relationships and the people that we work with within the UK uh, and really try to broaden throughout the UK the, the amount of patients that will be able to benefit from this technology. Um, and then in the future, I think in the longer term future, there will, I'm sure, be development of products and, and potentially working outside of the UK as well into new areas across the globe. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Amy. Um, it is a, it's a broad question, but I think for us, you know, we, we work on what we achieved last year, which was our NICE guidance uh, recommendation through NICE and um, the AI awards. And we, we work strategically with those accounts to support them in the evaluation of ZEO to inform those future funding decisions. We at the beginning of last year as well, we, we moved our office um, to uh, to Surrey, so our European sort of headquarters is now based there. So we we look to support other patients and clinicians in other countries, but really we we work on what we've built over the last twelve months here in the UK, and that is really to establish ZO and the the service and the pathway that it can and the impacts that can provide within the NHS, and we consolidate the work that's happened here to make sure that this can be available to more patients, as Amy said, across the NHS rather than selected. Side. Thanks to Amy and Tash there for their insight. Apologies if you found there was a little bit of a drop in audio at times. These are the hazards of remote podcasting, I'm afraid. But thank you for listening to the MedTalk podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. 